We would like to welcome you to today's sermon delivered by Pastor Stuart Guthrie. We hope that it challenges, strengthens, and encourages your walk in the Lord. I don't remember as a kid, but my mother told me as a child, I was learning my ABCs and one, two, threes. And she woke up one evening, I was sitting in the kitchen floor with a carton of eggs, cracking an egg over my head saying, A, B, and I'd reach in and pick up a C. And you know, as she told me that story growing up, I never believed her. Not that I would call my mother a liar, but I just didn't believe her that I would ever do anything like that. But then God blessed me with my own children. And uh, I began to believe that it was possible for me to do something like that. And so the reality is, is um, I don't put anything past my children anymore. And I don't put anything past what my mother said I did. But many of those things happened as a child, and they're funny. And they're great moments in life in which we we were a member of our childhood when we did silly things, when we did foolish things. And they, like many children, they learn to walk. They, they, They fall down. They get up. It's such a beautiful time. Uh, I remember the first time that our, our latest baby walked. You know, he started out holding onto the couch and he would scoot down the couch and the next thing you know, he'd let go and boom, he'd fall. And boom, he'd fall and he'd get back up and boom, he'd fall. And it was a process. He still falls today, but not as often. And the reality is, is, as we look at these children, as we look at our own child, it was, it's a great reminder that, um, that those things are necessary, right? It's necessary for them to do silly things. It's necessary for them to walk and fall and walk and fall and get used to it. And, but uh, we'd be concerned if... They never started really walking. If they just, at the age of one and two and three, were still standing up and falling, standing up and falling, we'd begin to question those moments that we now even record on camera to look back on and say, oh, look at the first steps. But if they were doing that at five and six and seven and eight, we'd begin to be concerned about their life. And we may even take them to the doctor to find out what's going on in the life of my child. Why is is he not catching on to these things? And I think it's a great example for us to, to evaluate our lives as Christians. To ask the question, what are some of the things that we do as Christians, as young believers that are expected but continue to do as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We are meant to grow up and to no longer do those things that children do. But so many times in the body of Christ, we never move from one stage of life to the other. And my encouragement for you today is to take this message and really begin to evaluate where you are. And I think the very first thing that we have to come to agree on is um, wherever you are, it's not a bad thing. Do you understand that? Wherever I am, it's not a bad thing. I just don't want to stay where I'm at, and you don't want to stay where you're at. I I love to see Titus stand up and wobble around and fall. And I love to see him stand up and wobble around and fall and say, Dad, 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 Dad. But I don't want him to stay there. 
I want to see him to get up. And I want to be able to see him run across the room in excitement and have fun. And now say, Daddy and Mommy and Annabelle and Lila. I want him to be able to speak like a, a child and grow up. And so my hope this morning is that we can be challenged and experience physical growth as well as spiritual growth in our lives as Christians. And really that's my encouragement this morning. I want to preach this sermon today because I believe that we have a desire at New Hope Fellowship that we are all moving from one stage of life to the next. And if you are here this morning and you're hearing me attack you, so to speak, in, in your mentality, don't hear that because my, my admonishment to you is this. I love you and I want to see you move to the next stage of life. That's my desire. Because we don't want to invest if we're not being used to move people into being faithful, successful followers of Jesus Christ. And that's our desire as a church is to see everyone fulfilling what God has called them to do. And sometimes that's a transitioning point in life. And so really there are four transitions in life that I want us to look at this morning. And y'all have to excuse me, I, I keep getting a cramp right here, you know. So if you see me ball up here in a minute, you'll understand. But there are four stages of life. Number one is the casket. Um, I think everybody knows what the casket is. Uh, Number two is the crib. Everybody knows what a crib is, right? Number three is the table. Oops, sorry. And number four is the kitchen. These are what I would describe as the four transitions of life in the Christian life that we could really evaluate where we are. Either you're in the casket, either you're in the crib, either you're at the table, or either you're in the kitchen. And so this morning, I want you to categorize yourself in one of those. And all of these are okay. There's nothing wrong. Well, let me rephrase that. There is a bad thing. Nobody wants to be in a casket, right? So if you're in the casket this morning, we're going to pray diligently that you move from the casket at least to the crib. And so those are really the four areas that we're going to look at. And so let's begin by looking first at the casket. What goes in a casket? It's okay to say it. What goes in the casket? Dead people. Dead people. Now, the reality is, unless Jesus comes back, we're all going there, right? But do you realize that when you're born into the world, spiritually, you're in the casket? We all have that in common, just like we're all going to die in the end. We have that in common. The reality is, is we are born dead in our trespasses and sins. So we come into the world. My little sweet baby Titus comes dead in his trespasses and sin. And it starts way back in the reality in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 and 17, when it says this, The Lord God took... Man, and put him into the garden to cultivate it and to keep it. They had a responsibility in the garden. And the Lord God commanded them, saying, From from any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat, you will surely die. And without going into great theological depth, the reality is, as they ate from that tree in that day, they died as God had promised. Now, did they die physically? No. But they died spiritually. And their spirit was dead. 
unable to regenerate themselves. There was a separation that took place between God and themselves, ourselves. And so the death that was brought onto them is the same death that's brought onto you this morning. Now I look across here and I see a lot of believers, followers of Jesus Christ. And that's a wonderful thing. But I don't know all of you. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to know if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you are dead in your trespasses and in your sins. And why? Well... Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all. Plurality. You and me, everybody that you've ever seen in your life was born into sin. And that's our problem. You see, when God created us, He created us perfect. Created Adam and Eve in unity and fellowship with God. It was a beautiful thing. No sin, no suffering, no pain. Just delightful community in the garden with God. You know, my daughter asked me last night, she said, Dad, if, if, uh, if God knew that man was going to sin, why did he put the tree in the garden? I said, well, that's a great question, darling. Now, I wish I could answer that question. And so what I said was, well, what do you think? You see, God put that tree in that garden So that we could have free will. Otherwise we'd be robots. We wouldn't have a choice. He gave us a choice from the very beginning. We have free will as human beings. To choose God or to reject God. And so listen. The reality is this. If you already find yourself in the casket this morning. Then you have a choice. To choose to accept God or reject God. And my hope is that by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you will choose the Lord Jesus Christ. For salvation. Sin has entered all men. And we are all dead when we come into this world and we're placed in a spiritual casket. We have just a baby just 11 months ago. And that baby came into the world dead in his trespasses and sins. Now, I believe in the age of accountability. I believe there's a certain age where God has expounded a special grace to those who are unable to choose or reject or accept God. And David even experienced that. He says, listen, there's no reason for me to mourn. I, I, he can't come to me, but one day I shall return to him. And so the reality is this God provides to us a special grace. But just because our kids are at the age of accountability doesn't neglect the reality that we are to teach and train them on how to move from the casket to the crib. Because there is a solution to get out of that casket. And if you're here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus Christ, it's your choice to be in that casket. And we're praying diligently that God would draw you to Himself because... Unfortunately, you can't make it to God unless He first draws you to Himself. I just believe that God loves the world so much that He sent His Son into the world that all might come to repentance. So I believe that God will draw you. Ephesians 2, 1-3 says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, which you formerly walked according to the course of this world and according to the prince of the power of the air, of the Spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. 
even as the rest. We all start in the casket. But we don't all have to stay in the casket. We are in need of life, of physical, spiritual resurrection. Physical to come, spiritual now, so that we can be physically resurrected to the kingdom of God. We're all going there, or we're going up, or we're going down. It really makes no difference. We're going. And so my desire for you is that you choose Jesus Christ as your way. And this morning, the reality is you may be still living that life in the casket. But we don't want you to stay there. We want you to transition out of that stage into the next stage and to believe in Jesus Christ. And you may say, you know what, Pastor, I'm a good person. I've done A, B, and C. I give to the poor. I help the needy. I even come to church every week. I even serve in the body of Christ. And listen, all those things are great, but the reality is, the reality is is this. All of those things don't help us get to the kingdom of God. Jesus alone gets us into the kingdom of God. Jesus alone saves us and regenerates us and gives us the grace and the mercy that we don't deserve. Galatians 2.21 says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for it for if keeping the law could be make, make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. If you could do A, B, C, and D, then Jesus didn't die. He didn't need to die. We could just do those things. Now bear with me if you're here this morning and you say, well, pastor, I'm a Christian. This isn't relevant for me. We have a responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. It should be on our hearts and our desires to open the Word of God and to teach that this is where we all begin. Sinful, stained, it separated in enmity with God. And my hope and my desire is that today you will, you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind and in your heart that God will regenerate your soul. And so how do we know if we're in the casket today? Children don't know that they're children. They just act like children, Right? Uh, my child doesn't know there's anything with wrong with standing up and falling down. He just does it. It's in his response. It's in his life. It's not until God shows us that we realize that we're not born again believers. It's not until God reveals to us that He shows His love, that He reaches out. So unsaved people simply live like unsaved people. They act like unsaved people. And so the question is, is where do we find ourselves this morning? And so we want to move. We want to move from the casket, but we want to move to the crib. And we do that by believing in Jesus Christ as our only way of salvation. And so once we do that, we find ourselves here in the crib. Now what do we put in cribs? We put dead people in a casket, but what do we put in cribs? We put babies. We put babies in cribs. Now that sounds really silly, I know, but the reality is, is babies go in cribs. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, when you trust in Jesus Christ as a young believer, you find yourself coming to the realization that you are a baby in Christ. You are a baby in Christ. Everybody starts out as a baby in Christ. Is that okay? Of course, that's a great, we, cel- we should celebrate when we, when we move from one stage to the other in the Christian walk. Because there's life. 
I've been able to see seven children delivered in the hospital. And when that baby screams, there's something amazing that takes place and life happens. And it's a rejoice, a time of rejoice, a time of celebration. And I believe that as Christians, we don't celebrate enough when somebody comes to a, a salvation, eternal life. We'll throw a party for somebody. We'll bring them cigars or, or we'll bring them pink and blue candies if they have a baby. But when someone moves from the casket from death to life, we just say, well done, good job, we're proud of you. We should have a celebration. Because eternity is ha- The angels are rejoicing in heaven when someone moves from the casket to the crib. So it's a time of celebration. It's a time of excitement. But I want you to understand, the more as I spend as a pastor, the more that I'm in the ministry, I realize that we live in a culture of baby Christians. And that's not a bad thing. We just don't want people to stay there. And even if we're not baby Christians, we can still act like baby Christians, right? You may see some things in my life that are tendency to act like a baby. Will you be patient with me? Will we be patient with one another? Because I can promise you, when I start listening off of some of these things that uh, babies do, you're going to go, wow, that's, uh, I do that. And you know why I know that? Because when I was preparing the message, I was hitting myself pretty hard. Oh, really? That's what baby Christians do, Pastor Stewart? Hmm. God doesn't want me to stay where I'm at. He doesn't want me to continually act like a baby sometimes. And He doesn't want you to do that either. So it doesn't matter if you're, if you're 10 years old, if you're 9 years old, if you're 20, 30, 60, 80. It doesn't matter. We can still do things that look like babies. So what are some of the things that babies do? How do we know if we still live lives and, and act like babies? Well, we can compare ourselves to what babies do. And there's several things that I came up with. Number one, babies often find themselves fighting with other children. Uh, you don't believe that? Put two kids in a room and give them one toy, sit back and watch. It's like WWF. And they just go to fighting with each other. And oh, I tell you what, give them two toys and give one to a child and they'll want the toy that's being played with. That's what children do. Left alone, they will slap, they will fight, they will pull hair, they will poke, they will punch, they will bite, they will argue, they will scream, and they will go after each other. Vody Bauckham calls them diapers in a viper, a viper in a diaper. If they had the strength, they would murder you. But they don't, praise God. Uh, they might whack you across the head or poke you in the eye or flail around on the floor, but that's what children do. They, they act like children, and I can't expect that my child won't act like a child. That's what they do as babies. Well, let me ask you a question. Let's, let's, let's look at that on our own lives. How do we deal with one another in the body of Christ? Do we bite? Do we slap? Do we hurt? Because I don't know about you, but I've been hurt in the body of Christ. 
And if you've never been hurt by the body of Christ, whoo, you got something coming. Because there's a lot of babies in the body of Christ. And they bite. And it hurts. And nobody wants to stay a baby in Christ. God loves you too much to leave you there. So how's your relationship with other Christians? Do you find yourself pinning them down? Putting them in a corner? Winning the, winning the, the fight but losing the battle? I'm willing to bet there's many people sitting in this church this morning because they were hurt at another church. God's grace is sufficient. And He doesn't want us to stay where we are in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I ask you, are you mad with the brother? You know, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. Spiritual warfare. And those are the enemies that we need to fight against. Not one another. And so if you find yourself always stirring up problems in the body of Christ, the reality is you could just be simply acting like a baby. And that's okay. We expect that. There's not a pastor. There's not an elder board. There's not a leadership in the body of Christ that doesn't expect biting to take place, fighting to take place, disunity to take place. Because we realize that not everybody is in the same place in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Some are in the casket. They're not in the body of Christ. Some are in the crib. They're in the body of Christ and they act like babies. So what else do they do? Well, babies enjoying being the center of attention. I know I watch my own kids do this. And I'm sure I did it as a child. I remember Josiah as a baby. Jojo's my buddy. I love him. But as a baby, man, he, would, he was so persistent to get my attention. I'd be doing something. He'd come up and say, Daddy, 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 Daddy. And if that didn't work, he'd reach up and grab my face. and Daddy, Daddy. He wanted, he wanted me to look at him. And so I would look at him and I'd give him the attention he needed as a, as a child, as a baby. And then the kids would paint some beautiful little color paintings and, and we'd come home and what'd we do? We'd plug them to the refrigerator because we want to show them what they've done. We want to give them the attention that they need. And the reality is, is we expect that in the body of Christ, but we don't always want to be the center of attention as Christians. Sometimes we want to give others attention. Because as we maneuver from stage to stage, we have to look and evaluate and say, well, this is where I'm at and what do I need to move on to the next stage? And I want to submit to you, a lot of it's got to do with prayer and reliance on the Holy Spirit in your study of Scripture. Those are the three ways that God works together. It's through His Word, through His Spirit, and through the body of Christ. So we have to encourage one another. We have to challenge one another. We have to strengthen one another. We have to teach one another. What else do babies do? Well, babies are shallowing in their understanding. They don't know math. Uh, they, don't, they don't know their ABCs yet. They're babies. Now, we can teach them trigonometry and things like that, but it doesn't really work if they're, if they're babies. Babies have little knowledge. They have little understanding. They do things like fall down the stairs, right? Oh, I can make it down there. I can't even walk, but I can make it down the stairs. And as babies, we do the same thing in the, in the body of Christ. We try to do things that aren't really fit for us to do. 
Babies are easily offended. And babies find themselves very offended easily. They're sensitive to their lives. Their feelings are easily hurt. And when things do not go their way, they will whine, they will cry, they will pout, they will suck, and they will even sulk, and they will even throw tantrums. Do we expect that? Of course we do. We just don't expect them to keep doing it when they're 8, 9, and 10 years old, right? Same with our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. There are things that you will find yourself doing that I will find myself doing and say, I should not have done that. I should not have handled that situation that way. I should have done A, B, and C instead. And God uses that as an opportunity to grow me. I'm not the same man I was six years ago when I went into the ministry. I don't handle things the same way I did when I was in the ministry six years ago. Why? Because God has moved me from different stages to different stages of my walk with Him. Babies are easily offended. What does this say? Psalm 119.65 says, Those who love your law have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. King James Version says, And nothing shall offend them. How often are we offended as the body of Christ? If we're so easily offended, how are we going to grow? Because things done in love should not offend, but should encourage. And too often we take negative and right off the bat we get offended. And the first thing we want to do is get out and and leave the body of Christ. As if that's going to help. So if we find ourselves doing some of these things, like being offended, wanting to be the center of attention, fighting with one another, then we can realize and say, okay, this is where I must be in my walk with Christ. How can I move from one stage to the next? Babies are hard to satisfy. They wake up upset. You wake them up too early. They cry. You've you got to give them a nap. You've got to clean their diaper, change their diaper. They want to play. You refuse to play, so then they cry. They're, then they're hot. Then they're cold. Babies are hard to satisfy. And if you can't say amen, you've got to say ouch. Because when I'm preparing this message, I'm going, ouch, 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 ouch. How often are we so easily unsatisfied? Now, I will say this. There ain't many people who's going to meet in the fire hall with no AC. So y'all are somewhat farther along than, than most people that want to write temperature and cushy chairs and all those things. But the reality is sometimes we find ourselves as baby Christians not being satisfied easily. And we want things our way. It's got to be our way or the highway. But the reality is, is uh, we're not going to stay there as babies. We're going to move forward. And we're going to transition now from being a baby to the table. Now what happens at the table? What are some things that happen at the table? Eating, right? What else do you say? You get fed. Okay. Okay. You get fed as a baby, right, too, though, right? Someone's preparing your meals. Someone's bringing your meals. Someone's giving you a bottle. Someone's doing all these things for you. But when you get to the table, you begin to what? You begin to eat on your own. Uh, Mom and daddy finally gives you a fork or a spoon to start out with because a fork, you might poke your eye out. And so, the things that take place at the table, 
here things tend to get messy. Every stage of the Christian walk is messy. So if we expect to come into the body of Christ and everything to be perfect and unmessy, then we've made a, a big mistake and a big assumption and, and we have a, a false sense of understanding of the body of Christ. There's going to be mess. There's mess as a baby. There's mess at the table. And I can promise you where we're going next to the kitchen, there's messes in the kitchen. Here's some ideas of what it looks like to be messy. Yep, it gets messy at the table. There's another one. Sweet little baby. Boy. How about that one? That's little Eli. Big old eyes. Growing like a weed. Messy. Still messy. How about Hunter? Hunter's messy. You know what? We just put a cake in front of him, put him at the table, and let him start eating, right? Things get messy at the table. Let's see, I think that's, yeah, that's it. The table is where we learn to eat. And what am I talking about when we're talking about eating? I'm talking about eating the Word of God. We begin to feed ourselves. And, and sometimes that can be really messy and we can take things out of context and we can misunderstand what the Scripture is saying and we can really do an injustice to what the Word of God says and we can be messy at the table. And that's okay. That's okay. We just don't want people to stay there. We want you to learn how to eat and eat clean and how to be well fed and what you're eating is good. Great things happen at the table. God begins to show you truth. He begins to give you understanding and you begin feeding on the very Word of God, that which He's called you to do. And God becomes more and more real to you as you sit at the table and you begin to eat on your own because now for the first time you can experience the Holy Spirit in your life through the Word of God by you simply eating it yourself. So don't get discouraged this morning if you don't understand everything. It may get messy when you're eating the Word of God. You may not get it. You may not understand it. And you may take it completely out of context. But we all have to start somewhere, right? And that's what we did on Wednesday night. We learned the inductive Bible study method. Who remembers the three steps to the inductive Bible study method? Anybody want to speak out? Observation, interpretation, and application. That's how we read the Scriptures. That's how we begin to apply it to our lives. And so the hope and the desire is that we as the body of Christ can equip one another so that we can sit at the table and feed ourselves, but we don't want to stay at that table. Although great things happen at the table, um, we don't want to stay there because it can get comfortable at the table, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but when I go home and it's dinner time, I like to plop down at the table and my, my wife brings me food. She feeds me. Praise the Lord. It's been many years since I cooked. I don't know if you want me in the kitchen anymore. But the reality is, is we as Christians can get really comfortable with everybody else taking care of our needs. And we can remain baby Christians who simply want to sit at the table. It doesn't matter how young or how old you are. You can get comfortable and never start eating on your own. And never move to the next stage of life. Some that stayed at the table their entire Christian life. 
And if that's where you are today, listen, I'm not getting on to you. My, my encouragement is, let's move you. Let's begin the process of praying that God would give you the ability and the understanding to move to the next stage of life. Because when I look across here, I don't just see people, okay? I see God-gifted people, spirit-indwelt people who God have given a great ability. And I believe the most richest, wealthiest land in the world is a graveyard where people have died and gone into the grave, never utilizing their God-given talents and abilities. So yeah, I see I see missionaries. I see Sunday school teachers. I see elders. I see deacons. I see servants. I see all kinds of people when I look across. But we can't ever get to those things if we simply sit at the table and enjoy the comfort of the feeding. Listen, those in the kitchen love feeding you. We enjoy it. But we don't want you to stay there. We want you to come out. Listen, I sat at the table for many years of my Christian walk. And I had godly men that trained me to eat. To help me to stay clean. To help me to stay healthy. I remember those days when Jimmy Farabee, my dear brother in Christ, my mentor as a young Christian, would come to my house and he would sit down and we would go over Scripture together, and he, we would memorize Scripture together, and He would challenge me, and He would ask me the difficult... You know the questions that nobody asks in church? He'd ask me those questions. How's your purity, son? What are you watching on TV? How are you dealing with your wife? He'd ask me those difficult questions that nobody would ask me in church. And I remember men like John Chittister that poured into my life as I grew in my faith and really gave me a vision for discipleship. You see, the table can be a great experience. But there has to be an expectation that I'm not going to be at the table forever. No, no, I'm not going to be at the table. I'm going I'm to learn how to eat properly. I'm going to train. I'm going to equip. I'm going to be discipled. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, it's because I want to go out and evangelize a lost world. The gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to do what Jimmy had done in my life. I want to do for others what John has done in my life. But so many of us sometimes reminded of Hebrews 5.12 which says you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being a baby at the table. But we want to move to the next stage. There's only one way to start eating solid food, and that means that you have to begin the process of growing in sanctification, growing more like the image of Christ. That means we have to pray, God, change my heart. God, give me that ability. The prayers of a righteous man accomplish as much, the Scripture says. And so we move from that. Then we move to the kitchen. I like, this, I like this, this picture because many times we think, well, when I become a teacher, um, it's going to get easier. Well, let me tell you what, it gets hot in the kitchen. It gets really hot in the kitchen. And there's great struggle in the kitchen to get that food just right so that it's edible for the body of Christ. The kitchen's where now you begin to prepare food for others. 
That's what we do in the kitchen. That's, that's what my wife does, and that's what I do for my kids when my wife's not home. I prepare food. Now, it might be beanie weenies. But the fact is, is when we move to the kitchen, we prepare food. We prepare the Word of God to deliver it so that the body of Christ can eat, be fed, and move from one stage to the next. So where are you this morning? Are you in the casket? Are you in the crib? Are you still at the table? Or do you find yourself in the kitchen? We want everybody to end up in the kitchen. Not everybody gifts is teaching, but we've all been called to teach. We've all been called to evangelize, even though you might not all be evangelists. We've been given command by the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in Matthew 18 through 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that have commanded you. And he says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I've underlined a few of those words. Disciples. Make disciples. You can't make disciples at the table, guys. So we know without a shadow of doubt, that God wants us to move from one stage of life to the next so that we can be feeders. We can be deliverers of the Word. We can be disciplers of the Word. How many people are discipling? Don't raise your hand. How many people are discipling? I just want you to ask yourself the question. Think about in your mind one person that you're investing in spiritually. We've been commanded this. This is the great commission to the body of Christ, to the church. And statistically, not many are discipling people. Not many are evangelizing, going and proclaiming Jesus Christ among the lost and dying people outside the doors of the, of the building of the church. And my hope and my desire is that you will begin the process of growing in sanctification so that you can be a provider of the Word of God and so that you can begin to meet with that woman, that man, that child and begin to invest in their life like Jimmy did for me, like John did for me and give me a vision for what it is to be a disciple of Christ. Baptizing them. We've been given responsibility as the church to go evangelize, pray that they receive Christ, watch them receive Christ, and then bring them into the body of Christ and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then we're called to teach them. Called to teach them. We have to be careful that we don't remain at the table, that the other way we get in the kitchen, so that we can function as God has called us to function. You will begin to grow and you will begin to teach when you get in the kitchen. Because you have to study and work hard on being able to communicate the truths of Scripture. The greatest learning ability is to teach the Scriptures. Because when you teach them, you have to understand them enough to teach them. And so if you're not teaching anybody, then my encouragement is to pray that God would bring you, draw you around somebody that can help you, equip you, to disciple you. And if you want to do that, you just come and tell me, Pastor, listen, I, I, I don't want to be at the table anymore. And I promise you with all my heart, with all of my soul, I will invest into your life. I will pour into those who are willing to be discipled and to grow and to be great communicators for God. But I can't make you do it. Only the Holy Spirit can draw you into that. 
And so my encouragement is that you begin to pray, God, take me from the table and get me in the kitchen and find you one of the elders. Find me, find Blake, find Jack, find Danny, find Joe Burke, find Eric. Find one of them and say, you know what? I'd really love for you to invest in me. And I promise you, we will invest in you. We will spend the time with you that it takes to move you. Now, I'm not saying that you, you have to have a Bible degree in order to be in the kitchen. Listen, seminary, I probably have remembered about 15% of what I've learned in seminary. They feed you with a water hose. Right? They say if you can gain 10% of what you read and learn, you've done well. But uh, don't negate the fact that I think seminary is important. It's the, probably the greatest and challenging part of my life as a, as a Christian. Because I've had to address certain topics, certain issues, and I've had to be able to sit in that kitchen and dive over that food and prepare the food and work through it. And seminaries helped me for that. Paul went off and studied three years before he ever went and evangelized. Before he went off, he went and studied for three years. And so, yeah, I believe there's a reality in which we should. And that's why I say, if you're at the table, let's get you discipled for three years. So that when you come out of that table, you get in that kitchen, man, you're like a good cook. You're prepared, ready to make meals for those around you. And that's my hope and that's my desire, is that we can move from one stage of life to the next in the Christian walk. You remember there, Jesus is talking to Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Hmm. Yeah, I love you. Oh, no, 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 Peter, Peter, Peter. Do you really love me? So now he's like, well, yeah, you know, I told you I loved you. Why do you keep asking me that? You weirding me out. No, Peter, do you really love me? And then he was hurt. God said, yes, I do love you. He says, well, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. You can't feed people if you're sitting at the table or in a crib. There's nothing wrong with being in a crib. And there's nothing wrong with being at the table. And there's nothing spectacular about being in the kitchen other than the reality is, is that's where God wants us to move to. My hope and my desire is that we as the body of Christ will raise up a generation of people that have moved from the casket to the kitchen. Are you still in the casket this morning? Dead in your trespasses and your sins? Because God... He being rich in mercy and in grace desires for you no longer to live there. And the only way that you can move to the first stage in the crib is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who came and lived a perfect life, died on that cross for your sins and my sin and said to tell us that it's finished, it's paid in full. I means you don't have to do A, B, and C. All you have to do is simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, through regeneration of the heart, God will begin to grow you and mold you and make you more and more into His Son's image. 
Have you done that today? I would cry out to you, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, you shall be saved. Are you at the table? Are you at the crib? Let's move. Let's begin the process and say, all right, where can I, what can I do to get there? Come talk to me. Let's work through it. Let's begin the process. And by God's grace, we will be a church that is spirit-filled, that is equipping the body of Christ, that's worshiping, that's giving instruction, that's fellowshipping, and exercising its gifts. And more and more people will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as we begin to move from stage to stage. Let's pray.